Hi Gavin, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I know, we're, we're co-hosting today, is that right? Yeah, and which universe is she reporting from? Oh, you're fucking kidding, the one where the gender roles are reversed. Have you met this one? Right, yeah, yeah, you should, yeah, sure. Hi Alison, it's, it's lovely to have you back again. Thanks, sugar dick. And, can I just say... It's freaking adorable that they let you sit in the big girl chair over there. <laughs> it's even more adorable that you do it for 30% of what I get. Thanks, Alison. Uh, look, I know things are a little different over in that universe, but I would appreciate it if you just treated me with a certain level of professional respect. Easy there, beautiful. I'm just bantering with you, honestly. You need to relax. Smile more. Learn to take a joke. Your balls look great in those trousers you're wearing, by the way. That is completely inappropriate. Jesus, you're uptight. It was a compliment. Honestly, ever since this He Too movement started over here, you can't say anything to a guy anymore. I have no problem with being complimented. I just resent the fact that your compliments are always about my balls. Then don't wear stuff that shows them off if you don't want me to comment. You don't put puppies in a shop window if you don't want anybody coming in to stroke them. You know what I'm saying? These are trousers. They're the same trousers I was wearing yesterday. You've worn the same pair of trousers two days in a row. Don't you have any pride in your appearance? If you made more of an effort, people would probably like you more. I'm just telling you like it is. I'm a straight shooter like that, and men respect that. Actually, I find it wears constantly on my self-esteem. Then you need to woman up, baby boy. Learn to take it on the chin, like your dad does. You really can't talk to me like that. I'm talking about my vagina. Yeah, funnily enough, I got that. I was joking! Men don't get jokes because you're not funny. Look, I'd really appreciate it if you just read the headlines. Yeah, you know what? I would. But Amy and the girls and I are actually cutting out early. Uh, got an appointment at the bar, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Look, if you could just finish up here, I'd appreciate it, okay? I'll put in a good word for you with the higher-ups. I am an accomplished professional in my own right, oh, and I have and the right thing. to... I got raped not far from the studio last week, so before you lock up, maybe change out of those trousers so you don't look like such a slut when you're walking home through the park, okay? <laughs> Bye now. Don't let it get to you, Sam. Don't let them see you cry. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. With a December election now confirmed, Jeremy Corbyn claims that in terms of votes, all he wants for Christmas is Jews. Following the revelations of the inquiry into the Grenfell Tower fire, the Prime Minister says he is shocked and horrified to find out that the fire crews he sacked didn't do more to prevent the tragedy. Following the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, liberals everywhere tie themselves in knots trying to criticise an American president who finally manages to pick a target who's an even bigger twat than he is. Laughing at a food bank in front of a working-class man on poverty wages, trapped in the indentured servitude of the gig economy who's been unable to get his epilepsy medication for three weeks thanks to uncertainty over Brexit, Sajid Javid labels Hugh Grant a pompous metropolitan elite for politely refusing to shake his hand. Nigel Farage has been frantically preparing for the upcoming election by writing all the apology letters he'll need in advance, 
for when it turns out that the new raft of Brexit Party MPs are a bunch of swivel-eyed sociopaths who spent their youth demonising the disabled and masturbating to Enoch Powell's speeches. Hello everybody, I'm Sam Gore, and it's time to squat and cough while we cup your news and check it for lumps. If you're fresh to the network, thanks for joining us here at IC News. If you're sick of the mainstream media and their tedious, one-dimensional approach to journalism, then congratulations, stranger. You've been stumbling blindly through the desert of opinion, drinking your own piss, leaving the desiccated corpses of the facts behind you in your broken-down caravan of spin. You're safe now. It's time to sit down in the shade and have a nice cool glass of icy news. Our reporters roam the multiverse of alternate dimensions that exist alongside our own, bringing you the stories you've missed here on Earth Prime. Speaking of home, it's time for our 37th general election special of the last two years. As a result of the Brexit impasse, the country is set to head to the polls yet again this December in the desperate search for a parliamentary majority. The Tories want a green light to strip back workers' rights and bring back chimney sweeping. Labour want everyone to forget the pesky Hamas stuff. The Liberal Democrats want to be in charge or they'll scream and scream until they are sick. The Independent Group for Change want us to never let go, Jack. And the Greens just want people to stop pretending the whole fucking world isn't on fire. But what about the actual third party of British politics? We go now to our reporter on Earth Echo 4 I See You Jimmy, the parallel universe where Scotland are an independent country. Hello everyone, I'm Monty Burns, reporting to you from a Scotland free of the yoke of British tyranny. In this dimension, in 2014, we voted aye. And not in that weird, wanky way you posh cunts in your room full of big green sofas do it. Much like a clap test after a night in the town in Falkirk, the independence referendum here returned a positive result. Scotland was out of Britain, lifting its kilt and bearing its arse to David Cameron for all the world to see. Now the big question everyone on Earth Prime is going to be asking is, how is it possible to disentangle yourself from such a close political union that you benefit from financially without ruining your economy? Let me tell you the irony of that we absolutely fucking love over here, but for Scotland it was actually pretty straightforward. You'll have heard a lot of people claiming that Holyrood without funding from Westminster would face a budget deficit of around £15 billion a year. The reality is that when truly separated from British spending as a whole, Scotland's state pension and social care budget for the elderly is actually a net zero, because nobody here lives beyond 65. That still left the country with around a £10 billion gap to plug. The SNP decided to raise that money by instating a 2% tax on all rents charged to the Act visiting the Edinburgh Festival every year. Now instead of asking a House of Commons full of talentless Oxbridge dickheads with a horrific sense of entitlement for money, Scotland claims its dues from a set of sketch groups and theatre companies full of talentless Oxbridge dickheads with a horrific sense of entitlement instead. But the world deserves to see my vegan reimagining of Titus Andronicus. As for what's left for Great Britain over here, it's not been pretty. The Conservative Party now run a pretty much one-party state, and Brexit was approved by a colossal margin. 
All of that might have been tempered by an organised, socially responsible, left-leaning opposition with clear leadership. But without the SNP, all they've got is the Labour Party. I'm Monty Burns reporting for IC News, and I'm probably staying here, to be honest. We'll be diving deep into the murky waters of the electoral process a little later on in the programme, but for now it's time for some thick, bleeding, crime-based meat in the centre of our political sandwich. You may remember our exclusive report into the horrendous crimes of former live and kicking presenter Jamie Theakston back in episode one. Our crime correspondent Red Redmond has been camping out at his house, living off street pigeons and the charity of strangers. Thanks, Sam. It's been two weeks since police first knocked on the door of Heart FM DJ Jamie Theakston here in Hammersmith. It was the start of a grisly saga now dubbed the Theakston Murders by the tabloid press. Speculation has been absolutely rife, but the Metropolitan Police have remained tight-lipped, releasing only the most basic details to a positively slaughter-horny media. We know that the final body count was 38, and that the victims all appeared to be male. That was all we knew. Frankly, the Met were edging us like crazy, but this afternoon we finally got to cream our news into a tissue. Metropolitan Police called a press conference where we finally heard firsthand from the officer in charge of the case, Detective Chief Inspector John Fridays. The revelations he had to offer painted a bloody picture on a canvas made of headlines few could have imagined. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm DCI Fridays. Cocktails are two for one, and I will, out of necessity, be keeping this short. Our investigations are still very much ongoing. Our manpower is entirely committed. We won't be fueling more speculation at this time, and I will not be answering questions. Frankly, at this stage, I suspect I have no answers for any of you. Two weeks ago, officers responded to a call concerning an address in Hammersmith. The property belonged to a 47-year-old man who has been named in the press as Jamie Theakston. Our initial investigation found a number of bodies in various states of dismemberment, arranged in patterns across the walls and floors of the property. Attempts to identify the victims have been surprisingly successful. What we are about to divulge, we have no explanation for whatsoever. Through familial DNA, we have been able to establish that each of the corpses is, in fact, also that of Mr Theakston. I repeat for the sake of clarity, Jamie Theakston's house was absolutely full of Jamie Theakston's bodies. This is not a joke, and we still consider Mr Theakston a suspect in his own mass murder. We continue to urge the public to exercise caution and to report any and all sightings of any number of Jamie Theakston's to the police immediately. Thank you, and please remember to tip your waitresses. A twist worthy of an M. Night Shyamalan film, in that it doesn't feel earned and makes very little sense. Tonight, London is a city with its balls gripped by the icy hand of fear, with Jamie Theakston still very much on the run and sending cryptic emails to the press. He has been demanding the bodies be returned to his address and repositioned exactly as they were found, claiming the consequences of not doing so will be, and I quote, the end of your mortal civilization. In each of these missives, Theakston continues to refer to himself as the Keeper of the Key. So far, he has unlocked the Box of Horrors, and it remains to be seen if London will ever recover. I'm Red Redmond, 
reporting for IC News. Segwaying seamlessly between shameless mass murder and politics, we now return to Conservative Party domestic policy. The Prime Minister has been setting out his stall in preparation for an election for weeks now, promising stake for his base in the form of a merciless pursuit of criminals. It's an initiative helmed by new Home Secretary Priti Patel, so it's worth visiting a universe where she's been in the post a little longer to see how it all works out. We now go to Rob Mulholland on Earth Bravo Orwell 1984. Thanks, Sam. I'm here hiding in an attic, and not for a fun reason like the need to hide my vintage pornography collection from my wife. If my only crime here was an obsession with voluptuous women in rubber Nazi gear, I'd be in a much safer position. Instead, I made the mistake of asking questions, and now I'm very much a wanted man. How did Great Britain in this dimension become a totalitarian state, I hear you ask? Well, here, Boris Johnson became Prime Minister after David Cameron's resignation. Ian Duncan Smith became the Home Secretary, but just two weeks later he was dead, cut in half with a sword in the middle of the House of Commons. What happened next is spoken about only in hushed whispers on this version of Earth. Priti Patel claimed religious exemption in the murder of Mr. Duncan Smith, laying out her defence that she was simply following the rules of the Sith. Found not to be in breach of the ministerial code, she became Home Secretary herself, and with Mr. Johnson's support, immediately called not only for the recruitment of 20,000 new police officers, but also for sweeping new powers to tackle crime. In a few short days, Parliament voted to pass the massively disproportionate response to smoking a little bit of weed act, citing the need to blame knife crime on something other than their own gross political incompetence. During the crackdown, Miss Patel's new police powers were used sweepingly and to great effect, with knife crime in London eradicated simply by burning every building in the city that wasn't a bank to the ground. Miss Patel was then interviewed by Andrew Marr, who implied that she was appearing unsympathetic to the plight of London by dancing the Macarena on a pile of burning corpses. The BBC later apologised on behalf of Andrew Marr, accepting the government's explanation that dancing on the charred remains of murdered inner-city youths was simply Miss Patel's default natural position. Soon after that, Parliament passed the Malicious Journalistic Dishonesty Act, giving police the power to arrest and detain anyone Miss Patel deemed to be an unreasonable critic of the state. Sam, it appears I'm in trouble here. I'm Rommel Holland, award-winning journalist, warning you all that Pretty Patel simply cannot be trusted with the nation's safety and security. No, please, you can't do this. I have a family. Have you no decency? Well, he must have bought that pawn with him. I've never seen it before. Please don't tell my wife. <laughs> Excellent, upbeat stuff there. I'm sure we can all agree. Now a question for all of you. Do you like having your innocent little brain diddled by manipulative monsters like it's a Catholic choir boy? Of course you don't. In a week when Twitter announced they would finally stop shitting in the cesspit they created by banning all political advertising on their platform, it's time now to talk about how politicians get their messages across in the modern era. Earlier, I promised you a deep dive into the murky world of political mass manipulation. It doesn't get much deeper than the journalistic snorkelling of Tom King. Propaganda. 
It's absolutely everywhere and it's constantly changing. We like to think we know our own mind, but the truth is that we are constantly barraged with messaging both subtle and blatant, pulling us in all sorts of uncomfortable directions. It's a bit like getting tossed off by an octopus. It feels weird and confusing to have that many feelers on you all at once, and it's really hard to decide if you like it or not. Propaganda used to be straightforward. It would be a poster telling you to hate Jews, or a newspaper article telling you to hate Jews, or a politician making a speech in which he would tell you to hate Jews. Now it's a lot more complicated. Propaganda in the modern era is as much about confusion and disruption as it is about the messaging. If you're presented with so much contradictory information that it makes it impossible to think clearly, you end up in the palm of anybody with authority who seems to offer clarity. Daily Mail, get your Daily Mail here. Now clarity is reassuring, but in the modern media landscape it's often an illusion. If you allow yourself to relax enough under this bombardment of propaganda to simply accept what seems like simple clarity, there is every chance the octopus will make you come. Now that might feel good, but at some point you've got to look down only to find out you've just jizzed all over an octopus who, you've guessed it, hates Jews. And what's worse, there are now dozens of little swastika-shaped sucker marks all over your penis. He's left his mark on you, even if you now regret allowing it to happen. I'm on Earth L3 Dank PR. Much like in our own universe, right-wing political parties here have embraced new media and the ethical wasteland of the internet to generate clicks and publicise their agendas. On our own Earth, it started with Brexit messaging in schools and deliberately bad conservative memes using Comic Sans as a font. It's worth asking why those memes are as bad as they appear to be. Laughing at what seems like bad messaging is still discussing it. Mockery becomes social media shares, shares reach those who feel mocked and the mockery becomes their confirmation that the opposition derides them for their position. Marjorie, look what the honourable snowflakes are saying about us now. That confirmation entrenches their feeling of persecution. You aren't going to be won over by an argument that seems to ridicule you. It's the point at which the cum of opinion becomes well and truly caked onto the octopus. Impossible to remove. On this earth, it's been so effective that the propaganda has come full circle. There's no longer any need for subtlety. Take this as an example this universe's version of a popular children's toy. Ah, oh, that tickles. Did you know that Zionists control the media and financial systems and are working to engineer a world in which Western democracies are subservient to the whims of their murderous totalitarian ethnostate? Let's be friends! <laughs> it's a vision of the future that we on Earth Prime still have time to avoid, provided we keep our wits about us and remind ourselves to think critically about why some of the information we digest on a daily basis is presented to us in the manner that we see it. There's still time to look down into the eyes of the octopus and rethink where we want this climax to land. I'm Tom King, reporting from Bristol Aquarium on Earth L3 Dank PR. Oh. <laughs>
It's now time for the second instalment of our regular feature, Danny's Dutch Ovens, in which our reporter Danny Sutcliffe creates a media stink by going undercover. If you're not familiar with Danny's work, that's because he's spectacularly unqualified, spending most of his days typing in all caps on 4chan under the username ClintonEatsBabies69. Here at IC News, the news itself is never a closed shop. We opened our hiring process to an internet conspiracy theorist because facts can only sit on the scales of news if they're balanced out by a furious puce divorcee convinced that his strong feelings somehow counteract objective truth. We've talked a lot about the upcoming election, but an election is a lot like tapas. You can only enjoy it as a group if you believe in democracy. For the last few weeks, Danny has been embedded in one of the largest pro-democracy protests the world has ever seen. We now go live to Hong Kong. Danny, what's it like on the ground over there? Hiya, Sam. I've been over here for two weeks now, and I've got to tell you, it's fucking great over here. It's like living in the purge, except it never ends. (laughs) Fucking hell, that was a big one. Look, the silly bollocks is on fire. I bet he wouldn't mind the water cannon now, would he? (laughs) Give him a squirt, pal. See if you can knock his shoes off like you did the last one. Danny, there's a fair bit of static here at my end. I'm not sure I heard that right. Are you telling us that the protesters have taken over one of the water cannons? Protesters? No, don't be daft. I'm with the Hong Kong riot police. Absolutely belting set of lads. (laughs) You got him! Be like water now, you shoeless bellend! Danny, I'm a little confused. You were sent to Hong Kong to embed yourself within the pro-democracy protest movement. Democracy is just another word for the blue pill, Sam. I believe your exact words were, infiltrate the Rebel Alliance. They definitely weren't. Danny, we sent you over there to report on government abuses and the tactics of the protesters. We wanted to learn how thousands of people rally and organise in the face of systemic oppression. You really need to explain how you ended up working alongside the Hong Kong riot police. Well, it's pretty simple, really, isn't it? Hong Kong's full of people who've bought into the illusion of democracy, innit? These lads here, they're the minority, seeking to change the minds of the ignorant masses through violent means. Now, that might sound odd to you, but I spent three days across the border in a Chinese re-education camp learning all of this. I didn't do very well in school, but it turns out I can learn loads dead fast if you just line me up with a bunch of Muslims and connect me foreskin to a car battery. The main thing I've learned is that the Hong Kong police are the rebels here, and you know me, I fucking love an underdog. No, not like that, Lee. I'm not hungry right now. Well, this is fucking ridiculous, but we might still be able to make it work. Look, Danny, what can you tell us about the mindset of the police there? We're hearing a lot about pro-Beijing counter-violence and the police's strong-arm tactics in suppressing these protests. Have you witnessed any abuses yourself? How do you see an end to this situation? Personally, I've witnessed no abuses whatsoever, and I can see really fucking clearly now thanks to the surgeons from the mainland working for the police. Turns out a lot of the protesters they arrest are really generous once they've calmed down a bit. I've got two new corneas and a fresh liver. I can't tell you how much fun it is being able to drink again without pissing blood. Right, Danny, hold on. That's that's our story. Are you telling me that the rumours about forced vivisection in China are true and that it's being practised on the arrested protesters in Hong Kong? Well, Sam, when it comes to politics, there's a saying here in China. Danny, you've said nothing for five seconds. 
Yeah, I know. That's what people in China say about politics. Danny, I've got to say, this is very surprising coming from you. I thought you were all about individual autonomy, freedom from the tyranny of the state, harassing women, working in gaming, free speech, that sort of thing. Well, yeah, I am, but it turns out I'm also very much for taking a brown paper envelope full of Chinese money in return for shutting me face. You know, like Blizzard Entertainment or the NBA. <laughs> Fucking hell! Look, pal, I've got to go. It's getting a bit airy here. I understand. Danny, get yourself to safety as soon as you can. Safety? Don't be a fanny. We're going down into the train station to tear gas some hippies and kick the shit out of them. Come on then, you wankers! Who wants to live forever? Danny Sutcliffe there, reporting from Hong Kong. That brings us to the end of our scheduled programming. Time now to leave you with a brief outline of the Siegfried and Roys of stories that haven't been mauled to death by the dual white tigers of Brexit and the general election campaign. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and good night. Barack Obama has called out woke culture, pointing out to young people that sometimes even the best of us kill thousands of civilians with drone strikes. The WWE have made history by hosting the first female wrestling match in Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, both participants were killed after an angry crowd threw the rock at them. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton indicates he would be willing to testify in the impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump if subpoenaed, proving to Democrats that sometimes the enemy of my enemy is still a horrific warmongering monster who deserves to rot in hell. Mark Zuckerberg has been criticised by Facebook staff for his stance on political advertising on the platform. In response, Mr Zuckerberg's eyes glowed red and he muttered something about needing to kill John Connor. And finally, tributes are pouring in for New York City's former chief medical examiner, Dr Michael Baden, who died next week after claiming the body of billionaire paedophile Jeffrey Epstein showed telltale signs of homicide. What you've just listened to is the extended version of IC News Episode 2. These longer cuts of the podcast feature bonus sketches and headlines, and they're released on all the streaming platforms the Saturday after the original episode. If you don't want to wait for them, they are available on the same day original episodes are released, exclusively for those supporting us through Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash stories, and for as little as a pound a month, you'll get early access to the extended podcasts, as well as early access to all the stories on the original Facebook page for ICU. Links are in the podcast details for the episode to make all that easier for you. This episode was written and edited by me, Sam Gore, and featured some very funny guest contributors from the UK stand-up circuit. You heard Alison June-Smith, Monty Burns, Red Redmond, Chris Lum, Rob Mulholland, Tom King and Danny Sutcliffe. Links to all their websites and social media are in the episode details and they're all well worth checking out. All the original music you heard was created by Eddie French with additional sounds and background noises from freesound.org and all the design work for the logos were by chumchi.com. From now on, there will be some form of IC news released each and every Saturday, whether it's an original episode or the extended cut. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a nice review on iTunes and spread the word. I hope you enjoyed it and thanks for listening.